Hey there, this is your host, Aiden. I just wanted to let everybody know at the top of the show that this is going to be an extremely spoiler-heavy episode. So if you haven't seen The Last Jedi yet and you don't want to know what happens, please go watch the movie first, then listen to our episode. Thank you so much for sticking with us. It's been a great year. Hopefully you all like the movie. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to Cinema Adventure, a movie podcast where every Monday we sit down and have a discussion about a film. This week we're talking about the newly released Star Wars The Last Jedi. I'm your most powerful Jedi Master host, Aiden Walker. I'm Blake Peterson, and I'm... What's that, like, thing? It's like the little monkey with the stick. Oh, Ewok. I'm Matt. (laughs) It's like the little monkey with the stick. Yeah, I always forget their name. You're resident Ewok. That's good. You know, of course, it's me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It's good. Truly. So, like, here we are. Here we are. It's been two years since the last main series Star Wars movie that wasn't about the Death Star. That's I true. I guess that's not true. The Force Awakens definitely had a Death Star in it. It was just a Did planet. It? I, like, can't remember anything these days. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, got... I did, like, an episode a while ago where I, like, totally like combined in my mind Rogue One and Force Awakens. Like, everything's just, like, a blur. With Star Wars, I feel like it's in my mind... A giant movie, I guess. So I don't know, like, which thing happened in what movie. I really don't. It's okay. I'm here to sort it all out for you. <laughs> Great. Because <laughs> you're more of a Star Wars stand than I am. Yes. I do love yeah. Star Wars. And I think, oh, it's safe to say that people are going to feel incredibly shook after Ivan. watching these this movie. People who like Star Wars are going to feel really shook. I think that's good. Why? Why will they feel shook, Aiden? This I also movie... don't know because I'm such a fake fan. Oh my gosh. Let me tell everyone, I should tell everyone that I've only seen the original trilogy. I've never seen the ones from the 2000s. And I saw The Force Awakens and Rogue One. And I've seen them all one time. <laughs> so There you go. Very, very minimal knowledge. I've enjoyed them, but that's it. I've seen all of them a lot of times. Yeah. So you like, you're like more, this is like a, an emotional thing for you. It totally. Like. I grew up with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I watched the original trilogy, I was four years old. Mm. Like my mom introduced it to me and yeah. it changed my life forever. Really? Wow. Yeah. I, I love Star Wars. So it, it was, um, it was a journey to go and see this film because it's, <laughs> it's really, uh, it really does break down and play with all of the tropes. It wasn't at all what I expected. Really? Um, not not even close. Not what even close. What did you close. expect? What was your expectation? I, I mean, you know, The Force Awakens for me is a movie that's really safe. It plays it very safe. It's really formulaic in the way that Star Wars is. You go and you feel warm and you go, oh, yeah, I remember all these things. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. I, I expected The Last Jedi to be different, but I didn't expect it to turn everything that I was expecting completely on its head, which did was you... good. Did you think it was going to be kind of another playing it safe, or were you expecting it like a darker? Because I've always heard that like The Empire Strikes Back is considered to be like one of the more darker entries. Were you thinking it would be like that? Probably? Yeah, yeah, I thought it would be a little darker, and it definitely is darker for mm-hmm. for sure. It's darker. It's just it's so tonally different than The Force Awakens. Yeah. Like the the whole just the way the story is laid out, the 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 pace is just breakneck. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know The Force Awakens does a really good job of introducing us to the new characters. We get Rey and Finn, and they're you really connect with them, and you yeah. can really they take a really long time. They take it slow at the beginning of the film, right? The whole introduction to Rey when she's in the Star Destroyer and she's scavenging for stuff, and there's no dialogue. It's just the music and her. And she's going through the desert. She's doing her thing, her daily thing. Then she goes and she gets trades in the parts for food. And you're like, okay, so this is her life. You see the tally mark. She's been there for years. Mm-hmm. And you understand this character even though no words have been said. And they really deliberately take their time. There's not a lot of character time in this no. movie. It really it really cooks. It just moves. And I think that's the weakest point for me for this yeah. film is how much they tried to cram in. It's two and a half hours, and I could have cut a lot of it out. Yeah, no, I think you could have cut a lot of it out. And I do think, yeah, like the new characters, you don't really get to know them. Like they add um, this character named Rose. I didn't write down the actress's name. It's Kelly Marie Tran. Kelly Marie Tran. Like she's introduced as a new character. She becomes kind of a sidekick character to Finn. There's like a little subplot with them. But really, you just kind of meet her quickly, and she becomes a sidekick, basically. And there's not a lot to her besides the fact that you know her sister, like, 
died for like the cause for um to the rebel alliance or whatever yeah okay there's the resistance but died it's for... okay they, they start calling themselves <laughs> rebels near the end of the movie so they're okay. definitely trying to be yeah, rebels i don't know again. what i'm saying but yeah it's okay all you know about her is like she works on like the main ship as like a pipe something um her sister died for the cause but not a lot to her and then she just like automatically becomes the psychic after like she meets things, things all scientific she meets finn <laughs> after he wakes up after his at the end of the force awakens he has that climactic battle with kylo ren in the snow and kylo ren slices him with a lightsaber and they put him into a suit to make sure he doesn't die at the end of the force awakens so he wakes up from that sleep at the beginning of this film wondering where Rey is, and his first instinct after finding out that the Resistance is in really bad shape is, I'm going to run away. So he goes to one of the escape pods on the ship to fly away, and Rose, this mechanic, just sees him, and she's like, oh, you're you're Finn. You're a hero. And she, like, idolizes him. And then that that's our introduction to her. Yeah. We don't see, like, you know, with Rey's introduction, you get all that background. I would have liked if we had something like that for Rose. Like, if we got to see her, like, behind the scenes, you yeah. know, maybe, like, trying to fix something and you see her kind of, like, looking at the other, like, Resistance pilots or the Resistance leaders and just kind of dream. Because that's what Star Wars is about. Is It's, like, all about aspiration. It's about mm -hmm. characters seeing something and wanting to be that or, like, trying to find the propensity to change. And you don't see that with Rose. And yeah. I think her character would really, really, really benefit if we saw her... You know, in the behind-the-scenes role, looking out and wanting to be in more of that leadership kind of yeah. area. But we don't get that development with her, and it, it's a shame. Luckily, yeah. her character survives to the end of this movie, so we might get more of her in Episode Nine, which mm -hmm. I would like because I think she's, yeah, I she's think promising. she's very charming. Yeah, yeah, very charming. They also introduce Lord Dern as a character who kind of steps in a captain position, kind of midway through the movie, and kind of same thing with her. I guess like that one with her, you don't need as much of a background because. No one really knows anything about her anyway. I mean, she's played by Laura Dern, who's, like, the Earth Mother actress. Always very... Just one of the most natural actresses that we have. Who looks kind of artificial here. She has, like, purple hair and these very, like... Um, almost, like, ancient Greece. These very big robes. Um, and... But you don't really know about her either. And so there's just, like, a lot of introducing that doesn't really go super far in this movie. But yeah, that's interesting because there is a lot of that, but yet it's also so long that it's like it's weird that they, I don't know, that there's like these shallow characterizations that at the same time, like you feel like they could have had more time like allotted in different ways. I I actually liked how they handled Laura Dern's character quite a lot. I mm -hmm. thought they did a pretty good job with her. I think most of her backstory and character is meant to be kind of inferred. Yeah, And true. they do it in a good way, mostly for the re with the reactions of the other people in the Resistance, you know. She's this admiral, and she's she knows Leia, right? And you can tell that they know each other from the days when Leia was royalty, right? Because yeah. Laura Dern has this pink hair. She's wearing this flowing gown. She has all this jewelry on. And she and Leia talk to each other like they're old friends. But she's also very stern, and she's like the heel to Poe Dameron, who she calls Flyboy like twice, which is fantastic. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, I, I like the way that the other characters who are, you know, they're the resistance, resistance fighters. They're wearing their, you know, kind of green or like beige or orange kind of jumpsuits they're really dirty and then mm. there's her coming in as this like very clean rich looking person just stepping in like i'm in charge now yeah right and it just seems uh i i love the shot after they say oh hold those in charge now and you see all the resistance people and they just look so pissed off like how could this be yeah you know, we're grassroots and look at you like you're <laughs> rich what what is this yeah i love too also like because poe speaks to her like after her kind of inaugural speech and like if you notice like she kind of towers over him i don't know if she's like standing on a platform or whatever but i like that because there's that and then later on the villainous like general is it phasma yeah Are you or captain phasma she's oh, like with talking the, with the chrome armor or the chrome yeah. armor and then like she's talking to a male character as well and she also towers and i like that kind of changing of the power to these really powerful females it also they helps do. that gwendolyn christie is like she's six foot so three tall. six four she's huge yeah no, she's a really tall woman i should say like before we are going into all these details like do you want to give like a plot summary kind of for yeah i can i can do my listeners? best so the last jedi picks up right from the tail end of the force awakens like no time has passed so at the end of the force awakens they destroy the Super weapon, Starkiller base. Ray takes the Millennium Falcon after Han dies and flies to this watery planet covered in small islands called uh, Octo. And that's where Luke Skywalker is. So she finds Luke 
and the last shot of The Force Awakens is her extending his old lightsaber from The Empire Strikes Back uh, out to him. So that's the last shot of The Force Awakens. So it picks up from there, and the first thing that Ryan Johnson does, the director, to subvert your expectations is, you know, you think Luke's going to take the lightsaber and maybe he'll train Rey, they'll talk, she'll win him over. The first thing he does is he takes the lightsaber and he tosses it over <laughs> his shoulder. He's like, I don't want this. And there's a great shot of those two little... uh little birds the porgs mm, little uh oh they God, look like they're so cute little seals um <laughs> little seal birds looking at the lightsaber after it lands on the ground and one of them is standing on the emitter button and the other one is looking straight down the tube <laughs> and i was really worried that one of them was going to press the button they were just oh, going to yeah. fry a porg right there they, they didn't which was tasteful so luke is hesitant and you find out that he has shut himself off from the force because he feels guilty after he was training han's son kylo ren or ben solo on the island and he turned killed a bunch of luke's students and ran away uh, and became a super duper bad guy yeah man i it's gonna be kind of hard to do a plot summary on this on this movie right <laughs> so the, the resistance is trouble is in trouble they find out the first order knows where their base is so they try to run away the first order shows up and chases them through space and it's basically just like a big chase for the whole film mm -hmm. for the resistance they're just running out of fuel and uh, basically the First Order has designed tech so that they can track people who are traveling through light speed, which apparently is new technology in the Star Wars universe, mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. So they're just being chased forever. And while that's happening, un behind the back of Admiral Holdo, Poe Dameron, Finn, and Rose concoct this plan to send Rose and Finn on a secret mission to a planet called uh, Cantonica to a city called Cantobite, which is a casino city uh, where they're supposed to meet a hacker who's played by Benicio Del Toro, Benicio Del Toro who yeah. is great. They're told that he's going to be wearing a rose-colored lapel or like a red lapel pin. So they go to find him because he'll have the know-how to sneak them onto this ship, the, the, the lead command ship of the First Order, so they can shut down the shields. Is it the shields? They do something. It's like, There's some kind of plan. It's like some device they use to like shut off their ability to track oh, them to through track life them. speed. I think Thank so, you. yeah. They, they try to get on there, but their plan is foiled, and the Resistance starts getting picked off one by one by the First Order. At this point, Luke has refused to train Rey. Rey leaves. <laughs> this is such a long summary. You just need to see the movie for yourself. It. I think we yeah. have a good amount covered. But, yeah, I mean, there's this climactic... Oh, we should just say, like, the leader of the First Order gets killed by Kylo Ren, which is crazy. I love that scene That scene so is incredible. Yeah, no, I feel like for me, like, the movie... For a lot of it, I felt like it kind of meandered a little bit because there is kind of these intermingling subplots. Like you have like Rose and Poe, no, Rose and um, Finn on that one planet figuring out their stuff and then the stuff going on with um, the Resistance. And I don't know, there's just like a lot of like little actions that take a really long time to do. So it feels a little bit tedious at first a little bit to me and then same with like the ray and the luke thing that's a little more drawn out than i think it needs to be but for me yeah like the scene where it's like kylo ren ray and then the leader of whatever the bad people's name is <laughs> the first part it's, it's snoke it sounds like joke oh, yeah, or smoke yeah he looks like a testicle so that's cool <laughs> he's really um, gross yeah, he's very gross but yeah like that scene where they kill him like that's like such a good emotional payoff that i think like for me like after that even though that's like I feel like after that point, there's only maybe, like, 40 minutes left. Like, it is more toward the end. That was when it won me over, which I think is also kind of an issue that, like, I was kind of, totally. like, not loving it until, like, way into the movie. Like, I felt like it took too long to get to that place. I don't know if you felt like that I, at all. I agree. I yeah. agree. There were a lot of points in this film where I was thinking, what am I looking at here? What yeah. is happening? And I think now that I have more of a grasp of what the the movie is mm -hmm. i think i'll i might like it more on a second view i did i felt that way too it's challenging i guess we should say like the big climax of this film and something that's teased throughout is that there's this new the force has awakened as we know from the last movie <laughs> so it's very powerful in ray and kylo ren and throughout the film these two are connected by the force mm -hmm. from across the galaxy they are able to communicate with each other and they have these conversations where Kylo Ren is slowly informing Rey about what actually happened between him and Luke. And you find out that Luke had a moment of cowardice where he attempted to kill Kylo Ren in his sleep mm -hmm. or to kill Ben Solo in his sleep, rather. So Luke has this very intense turning point at the end of the film where he uses that same kind of ability. But instead of communicating, he projects 
like this image of himself onto this planet during <laughs> this battle. That. It's so wild. And it's it's totally like a new force power that like we haven't seen before. Yeah. So he projects an image of himself across the galaxy from the island on Octo or Octo to the the planet where there's this final battle and the first order just like unloads on this basically this hologram of Luke Skywalker and it does nothing and then Kylo Ren goes down to fight him and then finds out oh just kidding it was a it was a fake Luke the whole time <laughs> so this this allows the resistance what's left of it which is like ten people I guess to get onto the Millennium Falcon and fly away so he buys them time but you see back on Octo that it was such an expenditure of energy that he kind of succumbs to it and he turns into the force just like Obi-Wan and Yoda did in The Empire Strikes Back and Return yeah. of the Jedi. So you, Luke, you get this very emotional kind of ending for Luke where he is fulfilled and the you see like the binary sunset from A New Hope and that's nicely reflected. It was very, it, it's a lot to take in. <laughs> yeah, I also think Mark Hamill's like this, I mean he hasn't really had like this very long acclaimed career necessarily but like I do think he's grown a lot as an actor. Like I don't feel like he's super strong in the original trilogy I also think it helps, too, that he's been voice acting for so long that he knows how to use his voice really effectively to supplement his performances. So I feel like he is, I think maybe if he hadn't done voice work, like, he might not be as believable as, like, this weathered figure who's been through a lot. But here it's pretty convincing, and I like the way they photograph him a lot, like, in close-up, too. And I feel like they really enhance, like, his eyes and, like, the wrinkles on his face, and so you do get this sense that he has this really storied past. So it's a I much like, more personal look at, at yeah, that character. Yeah, it's very personal. Because even in the original trilogy, Luke is kind of this just mythic, kind of legendary figure. You yeah. know, like he's able to... People in the Star Wars universe are just naturally talented. You know, yeah. he's able to blow up the Death Star. He's able to confront Darth Vader and not succumb to the dark side and, like, redeem him. He's able to, you know, do all these things. But in this film, you get a much more humanized... Luke Skywalker who makes mistakes yeah. and who feels terrible and like who ha has this sense of guilt. I enjoyed that. No, I did too. I really, I do like his character a lot. I didn't, I, the movie kind of tried at first to kind of almost make him seem like some kind of Hermit of the Hills eccentric type. Like you see him kind of right off the back, his everyday routine. He has this weird thing where he, I don't even understand how he fishes. He like, it's like a like giant a, it's spear. It's like a pole vault, but it's also like a spear like it's something but he does that and then like there's this weird like cow seal thing on like the shores of the island he's on the he just like drinks the milk of without he just milks it right there yeah it doesn't doesn't love pasteurization i guess yeah i mean so i guess that makes sense i mean he's a farm boy yeah he's from a farm but he has that and then he has like these i really love like the creatures who were like the caretakers of the island oh yeah yeah they look uh, like they look like they birds look like they just look like birds and that but they have like these but weird they're dressed like nuns yeah they're dressed like nuns they're little bird nuns so they have all these things that like try to make him seem like this eccentric figure which i didn't really buy a lot i think they could have just gone with like he's very isolated and that's it but like whatever but i feel like other than that like i really do like you definitely see an arc with his character like i mean leia obviously becomes like this titanic figure and so she really just goes upward whereas like there's definitely a lot of bumps in luke's overarching story i also like the i feel like this movie is very visually impressive i mean certainly all the star wars movies have visual things that i love but like the there's a climactic battle on this planet where you think it's the snow's covering the ground but it's actually salt so anytime anything touches it it turns red and so like every single part of the battle you can kind of see reflected in the ground and that looks really cool just in general i remember seeing that in the trailers and thinking that that was an interesting touch but you have that and then like snoke's lair like it's completely red that reminded me like, i actually wanted to bring this up with you uh, um the the red coloring in snoke's throne room and just kind of like how flat and barren it is yeah super duper reminded me of suspiria yeah it no, totally it reminded too. me of like that dario argento look that we were talking about when we did that episode <laughs> Yeah, no, that is so striking, right? It's so striking. And the First Order is all about that. Like, they're such... I, I think that it's so interesting to look at the new baddies as compared with the old. The, the First Order is so pompous and over-the-top yeah. compared to the Empire, which is, like, more reserved and, like, more menacing in uh -huh. a different way. I actually, like, wrote some stuff down. I wanted to talk about <laughs> just that in general because I think it's kind of interesting, you know? The Empire is all about rigid control and ruling in like a, you know, I know they're called the First Order, but the Empire is much more ordered than mm -hmm. them. The Empire is all about fear. They're like really collected. You know, they have a Death Star 
and they use it once, but their plan is only to use it once as a demonstration so everybody else will fall in line. Mm -hmm. In The Force Awakens, you have the Starkiller base, and it's not like we're going to use this as a way to scare people into control. We're just going to, they don't even think about that. They're just like, we're just going to blow up like six planets right now because it's the seat of the Republic. Yeah. And we just want to get rid of who knows how many trillions of people right now. So they're more about chaos than they are about order, which I think is kind of interesting. I also get this sense from them, especially from Kylo Ren and from Snoke, that they're they're not as evil as they want to be. They are simply just trying to... Like, they're tryhards. Do you, do you kind of get yeah, what I'm saying? No, I love like, that. They, like, really, really, really want to be the most evil, but they're not there. No, that's, like, my favorite thing about the villains in this movie is all the... I feel like Darth Vader is, like, very scary in the other movies. And, like, but he's you... also leashed, right? That's he's true. He's also, like, the pet of Sidious, who is truly evil because that's he's true. calm and he's collected. Yeah, but even with that, like, I feel like for some of those movies, like, you actually do fear him and there is a sense of menace. Whereas, like, I feel like all the villains in this movie, they're kind of making fun of them. Like, with Snoke, he looks like a naked mole rat with a kimono and you, like, don't really believe... I mean, like, he's trying so hard to be this evil, but you kind of don't trust it because he's so full of himself that you're like, there's definitely going to be a downfall at some point. But, I mean, I love, I mean, Kylo Ren, I mean, he's like a villain, but, I mean, he still comes across as, like, a 15-year-old who likes Marilyn Manson. And, like, Donald Gleason, who plays General Hux, which is, like, my favorite because he... He's, like, the same vein as, like, Draco Malfoy. Maybe he has, like, a contour kit. But he is trying so hard not only to act really villainous, but he really likes to look villainous. He has his hair slicked back, and he tries to present himself as this menacing figure, but he never pulls it off. And the movie will showcase him a lot, kind of getting, like, pushed around by his superiors. And so even when he has moments where he should be intimidating, he's not. And it's not done, like, too overtly comedically. You just get the sense that, like, the evil people are not this rigid evil that we should fear they can be conquered, which I like. But I also just like, in general, like having these villains that you don't necessarily take seriously the entire time. You know, you mentioned um, just just Donald Gleeson just in general. I think it's really interesting that the majority of the people that you see in the First Order are very young. Yeah, they're Compared very Compared to young. the Empire where it's usually older, white, mm -hmm. balding men. <laughs> and the First Order is mixed races you see people who are of color you see young people you see some middle-aged people you don't see there's not like a grand moff tarkin figure you don't have um a peter cushing walking around being that calm collected menacing mm, british <laughs> evil you have these young people who for for one reason or another why why are these young people doing this were they indoctrinated yeah it makes like you did wonder. they join up what made them decide like oh, yeah, you know, the Empire, they paid really well and, like, they actually controlled the galaxy, but this First Order, you know, they're just a splinter group, but I'll join up anyway. It's very strange. It's like a Hitler Youth kind of thing. I have no idea. Yeah. But oh, I also wanted to mention, I really think this movie is very well edited. There's especially one point where you have the three subplots kind of, like, they're going back and forth, but they all have a climax kind of at the same time. There's one where... Rose and Finn are about to be executed by General Wait, Captain, Captain Phasma. Phasma. Whoops. <laughs> Captain Phasma and like her men. And then there's one, it's like the second subplot. It's like the the resistance, like they're kind of being blown up and they're having to deal with all this stuff. There's that, that, and then is it Ray and Kylo Ren are having the this the thing with Snoke. So you have these three stories and they all have climaxes that are happening at the same time so you like keep cutting back and forth between them as it's going on but the more intense each one gets the faster the cuts get until it like is almost just like three in a row this almost pinball thing and i love that's so deliberate and you don't really notice but i mean if you look at it zoomed out almost you could just see how progressively faster the cuts in between these three storylines get the more intense they get and i really like that touch because it is really subtle at first, but then you start to become increasingly aware of it and realize the director, Ryan Johnson, like really planned that out. And I think that too also sets the stage for the rest of the movie, which is I think a lot stronger than the first half as well. But I think after that moment, that's when you really start to get into the movie. But I love that editing technique there. It, it is, it is put together very well. It's, I, I, I just have to see it again. I, yeah, I'm I happy. Too. I have a, a considerable amount of time. I have like two weeks before I'm going <laughs> to go see it again. I like I have tickets to see it in IMAX with a friend. But oh, wow. IMAX I'm is overpriced. I'm <laughs> happy. I, it totally is. I'm happy I have that time to kind of relax and chill out and try to not think about it I for a little like while. I feel like I see it again tonight. I feel like I need to. Because I feel like now that I have 
Because I feel like so much of it, you're trying to figure out what you think of it, kind of, and you're trying yeah. to figure out exactly what it does well. So I feel like now that I have something of a general idea, I think I'll like it more. But totally. No, I have to see it again. Well, I guess we've done like about a half an hour. Should we do some fun facts? Sure. Here we go. I'm not doing them this time, kids. <laughs> So I'm going to do your fun facts today. I'm just going to keep it really short because with Star Wars movies, every fact is a fun fact. That's so you true. could just go on forever you and really ever. Could. I'm just going to do a couple. Uh, <laughs> some of my favorites. When they do get to the salt planet with the red coloring mm. crate uh, at the end of the film, they show kind of like a World War II trench setup. It's kind of like the Battle of Hoth and the Empire Strikes Back. And you see a bunch of soldiers line up and they all put their guns down and they're getting ready as the First Order is approaching. And the on the left side of the screen, one of the Resistance soldiers is actually played by director Gareth Edwards, who directed oh. Rogue One. Wow. Uh, so he makes a little cameo right there. <laughs> I noticed him in the theater and I was like, huh? <laughs> I know that guy. He also directed that, uh, what is it, 2014 Godzilla yes. with Brian Cranston. We I don't, I didn't, don't have to speak about it. I didn't see that. <laughs> it's not great. Um, another little Rogue One kind of Easter egg, the ship that Leia and the Resistance is on, the big kind of bumpy ship, is called the Radis, which is named after... Admiral Raddus, who was the Mon Calamari guy from Rogue One, who was like, call up a hammerhead cruiser. That guy. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> anyway, he uh, at the end of Rogue One, he basically sacrifices himself so Leia can escape with the plans. Um, He's the ship that gets boarded by Darth Vader. So in all likelihood, he got lightsabered at the end of that film bummer. off screen. Yeah, bummer. So the <laughs> ship is named after him, which is fitting because Laura Dern, Haldo, pilots that ship into like a uh, kamikaze light speed attack. I love that. Which was incredible Good into Laura. the first order. So she uh, she uses that ship of that's named after somebody who martyred themselves and then martyrs herself. So wow. I think that's kind of a Look fun tie-in. And then lastly, this is my favorite one. This is so <laughs> subtle. And I'm so impressed with ILM for even putting this in and for the continuity people for remembering this. And I'm also a little disappointed in Luke for not getting it fixed after 30 years. <laughs> but when you see the shot of Luke taking the lightsaber in his hand from Rey, mm -hmm. there's a close-up on his robotic hand, and there's still the blaster hole in it from when he gets shot in the uh. hand on Jabba's sail barge <laughs> in Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. So that's just kind of a fun little Easter egg. I love that. Those are my facts. That's what I got. Those are good. That's all we need. Yeah, that's all we need. Yeah, I'm sure like more will come out. I feel like oh, yeah. there's so there's just like endless lists of like the things you might have missed in Star Wars oh, or yeah, things God. you didn't know. There's so many people who cameoed in this movie. I know Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in it. Tom Hardy was in it. Allegedly, Prince Harry and oh, yeah, the other that. prince of with England. William. But William, yeah. yeah William and Harry one. were apparently both cameoed as stormtroopers but didn't make the final cut of the film. Oh, so, no. So, shame. I mean, not that they probably would have said anything yeah. anyway. They honestly could just say, like, oh, yeah, we're in it. Like, no one would notice. So you can't see their faces anyway. I was in anyway. it. I was a stormtrooper. I'm in it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we're all in it. We're I, I did, I did like Daniel Craig's cameo in The Force Awakens. What did he do in that? He was the stormtrooper that Rey mind-controlled in that chamber. <sighs> Poor Daniel. Yeah. Well, he kind of had it come in. He had some lines. He, he really had some did. lines. That was fun. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about failure. <laughs> okay. Because it's the biggest theme of this film. Yeah, is for failure. sure. Luke has failed, and he's super torn up about it. There's that whole subplot where Finn and Rose go to Canto Bight to find the hacker to get to the ship, and they fail. Mm. But they grow from it. Yeah. And there's a, my favorite absolute favorite scene in the entire movie oh, wow. is Busy. when after Ray leaves from Luke's Island, after he refuses to, to leave with her is Luke goes to burn down this like sacred Jedi tree because he's so sick of all the Jedi making him sad. And Yoda appears as a oh, force yeah, ghost to him. I love that. that is my favorite scene. You know, I was worried that they're going to do kind of some, you know, I, I like the force Awakens, but I was worried that they would do some of like the hammier callback stuff. That's really unnecessary that they did in that, in this. And they didn't really, when they did call back to the previous movies, they did it in a way that built upon and was respectful of it. So like when Yoda appears, he shows up and he gives Luke advice, but it's still, it's not in a way that's like, oh, remember when I said this to you and the Empire Strikes Back? It's like he comes and he says something that's really useful. He says, you know, he basically tells Luke, like, people can fail, but you can learn from that failure. Mm -hmm. and I love that. Yeah. I love Yoda showing up. I think, I don't know, I'm kind of a sucker. And I, I really liked The Force Awakens, all the nostalgia. So like, I, 
In this movie, you get a little bit of like Chewbacca and C-3PO and R2-D2, but like not as much as there I would have liked, which was like such a bummer because like yeah. there was barely any Chewbacca. I wanted more Chewbacca too. And there's like a great scene where he's like trying to eat like a is it a pog or pork? Pork, yeah. See, I keep thinking of pog, like the pomegranate, orange, grape <laughs> juice or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so he's like trying to eat one, but then like porks keep showing up and like looking at him all sad. And it's such a funny scene. And he chooses not to eat the pork after that. He chooses not that. to eat it, yeah. But like, then you don't really see him again. And it's like such a bummer because you had that good taste, but not a lot more of it. I think the most powerful callback aside from Yoda's appearance and advice is Luke does go at one point in the night without Ray's knowledge onto the Millennium Falcon just to take a trip down memory lane, I suppose. Yeah. And he sits down and R2-D2 boots up because he's sitting there and he comes over to Luke and he beeps a little bit and they have a short conversation. And Luke is like, you can't convince me to go. There's nothing you could say. And R2 boots up and plays the original message from Princess Leia oh, yeah, that was that. meant for Ben Kenobi. You know, help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're our only hope. <laughs> they play that and Luke's just like, that was a cheap shot. <laughs> I love that. And I love, I keep saying I love things in this movie, so that's good, I guess. Yeah. But um, I really, it's so poignant seeing Carrie Fisher in this, for sure. And I especially. I'm happy she got so much screen time. Yeah. Well, it sounds like she died after she had filmed everything, so didn't have to worry about that. But it was especially stirring seeing there's a part in the movie where part of the ship's blown up and Princess Leia's kind of scooped out into outer space. Sucked out into space. Sucked out into space. And then she kind of wakes up, even though there's no air or whatever. And uses the force to bring her back to the ship, and like they've hinted that that Leia can use the force, or is at least somewhat is so... sensitive to it for so long. I'm so happy, even though the like yeah. flying Superman Leia thing is kind of cheesy. It was like so good to finally see her get to actually exercise that power uh-huh. and use it in a way that was like physical and not just like this mm-hmm. mental. Yeah, it was cool. Well, I really liked it. Like, one of your friends was saying they hated it, but I thought it was perfect because you do have this fear of, like, since you know Carrie Fisher's not going to be back, you're like, is this it? Because it does happen early been, in the movie. Yeah. And so I was just like, is this all we're going to see? And then when she, like, eventually, like, wakes up, it is a powerful thing that even though we're not going to see her in later movies necessarily, but she'll still have more screen time for us, and we'll still get to see a little bit more of her. And there's another really good scene, or just a good moment, I guess, between her and Laura Dern and Laura Dern like basically takes her spot after this incident happens. They just have this really nice heart to heart and they both like make fun of Poe and how he's kind of a troublemaker, but they like, him. Uh, but they like him anyway. And like, you can tell they're old friends and they like grab each other's hands and like, they say like, may the force be with you at the same time. And like a jinx kind of thing. And it's just, it's so touching to see that. I mean, I don't know. I doubt they're like friends in real life necessarily, but just like to see these two, really revered actresses come together for just this brief moment in a stirring scene. I really, really like that. I that So that's the thing about this film. I wanted there to be more moments like that. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of moments like that in The Force Awakens that really oh, make sure. you connect, especially to the new characters. For sure. All the interactions between Rey and Finn, I remember in The Force Awakens, there's a scene when Finn is going to desert after they reach Maz's castle. And he's like, I'm out. I got to go. I'm going to the Outer Rim. This is way too scary. The First Order is way too powerful. And Ray's like, no, you can't leave. We're not done yet. And they have yeah. that conversation. He's like, he tells her the truth, right? He opens up. He's like, I'm a stormtrooper. I'm not a hero. I'm not who I think you think I am. But then there's that turn and he he comes back and he proves himself. And it's really meaningful. And we, like with Rose, we don't get that kind of development with her. Mm-hmm. So you don't connect to her as much. And I wish yeah. I wish this movie would have... Being two hours, two and a half hours long, I wish some of those moments would have slowed down a little bit. Yeah. It's been a little more deliberate. Totally. And I feel like weirdly, like, I feel like saccharinity doesn't go far for me with a lot of movies, but I feel like weirdly in Star Wars, any of these kind of sentimental moments, they work really well. Because I think in general, like, they are old fashioned with, you know, their showings of, you know, good versus evil and these very kind of stereotypes that you would almost see in, like, westerns from the 50s. Just like these very, everything is pretty set in stone in terms of like romance and adventure and all that so i do like those kind of dramatic heart to hearts i like kind of the little sprinklings of humor here and there so just those little things that don't seem to mean a lot i don't know they go far for me here so i wish there was like a little bit more of those cheesier instances i wish there were i mean like the jokes are pretty good i like how its brand of humor is pretty knowing and a lot of it too like there'll be a joke but it's not necessarily addressed just like a little quick one-off thing wish there was more of that but yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of the characters that I like in The Force Awakens 
Because I think that one is a lot of fan service, which I was fine with. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I, I don't. I, I can't. I can't fault Lucasfilm or Disney for playing it safe after those the early two thousands the prequels. I was which totally fine. People with that. so hated, and I. I you know. I. I'm not surprised at all that they played it so safe with the first one. I'm happy that they took risks in this one, yeah. even if people are going to hate it, which people will. Oh, it's um, already like on Rotten Tomatoes, I think, because it's like 94% critics, but like 56% audiences liked it, which it's like, could you relax a 56%, little bit? 56% really? Yeah, but I think a lot of Star Wars stands are pretty snobby, and so they like, totally. if there's anything that's like slightly like not as good, it's just like an automatic like, this one's bad, and it's like not necessarily, there's just characteristics that aren't as accessible as others, but you can't expect each Star Wars movie to be as equally brilliant because it has to have all these facets and nuances to differentiate themselves yeah. so i was perusing like the the star wars subreddits this morning to see kind of what the like diehard reaction was to it mm-hmm. so incredibly polarized it was really fascinating yeah. there were people who were like so happy and they were like this is everything i've wanted from a star wars movie for so long uh-huh. and that was like half of it and the other half was like i hate this i watched <laughs> this last night and I don't think I like Star Wars anymore. And I was like, Okay, that's wow. so dramatic. Oh my god. Wow. That's like the that's, so <laughs> that really like makes me mad. Because I right? feel like yeah. first of all, just like calm down. <laughs> it's like, just a movie. Yeah, like it one is movie, at the end of the day. It's like the same it reminds me of like the whole like the female Ghostbusters remake, how like that supposedly oh, was the, gonna ruin it. It's like one vitriol. movie is not yeah. gonna ruin the other movies. Like that's the dumbest argument like i think it's really stupid especially because this whole series that's happening now is taking place after yeah so if you want to go back and relive four through six you Mm. can and you can ignore everything on either side of it yeah and you're still fine you still have that self-contained story i also like can't think about like what would make i don't know i mean there's definitely a lot of weaknesses in this movie but i don't know what about it would make someone go as far as saying like this ruined star wars for me like i don't i did read one person who said something that actually did resonate and i do i do think that they have a point to it but i you know i think it's good that ryan johnson is getting away from this point that they're making because it is fresh to do so Mm -hmm. they said i walked out of this movie feeling really depressed and it's because they took away characters and didn't fill their spots. Mm. And they said that, you know, after I went, this is not me talking, this is (laughs) them talking. After I went and saw, you know, the original trilogy, I watched those, you know, I watched episode four, I watched episode five. I wanted to go out and become a Jedi. I want, like as a kid, right? I wanted to be a Jedi after that. I wanted to have a lightsaber. Mm -hmm. I wanted to fly an X-wing. And I think there was something about the tone, kind of the graveness of this film where and I did feel this a little bit after we walked out. I was like, man, like Luke Skywalker's dead. It was more like a little more cerebral. It didn't it didn't follow the tropes that I'm used to. And I mm-hmm. felt like I didn't feel that excitement when I left. I felt like the story had yeah, kind of true. ended. And I, I think that excitement and that like extreme escapism is what people look for in Star yeah. Wars. And walking out of a Star Wars movie feeling like the, the galaxy is in such dire shape mm-hmm. is bad. You know. There's a bad guy's win kind of ending to Empire, but you still kind of have a sense of wonder about it. Yeah. And I can, just, I can see how people wouldn't feel that at the end of this movie. I could it's see very it. bittersweet, the yeah. ending. Yeah, I could see that. Because, I mean, I feel like a lot of them have this predominantly this major sense of fun. And so it does feel just like this really lightweight popcorn entertainment that just happens to be, you know, smart and funny, whatever. So I could see that because this movie is, I think, a little bit more serious than it is lighthearted. But I don't know. At the same time, like, I feel like if you're this far into the series and you are skipping ahead like it's hard to match events that happened 40 years in the future like it just i mean in the past it can't be necessarily the same so but yeah i could totally see that because it doesn't totally match completely and i think a lot of these people who feel this way are going to go and see it a second time and they're going to know what's coming and they're going to think about it a little bit more and they're going to like it i think they're going to i I think they're going to warm up to it people like being really dramatic i feel like you always get people who are like this it either ruined it for me or this is the best one yet and i feel like I also Also, those are the only people who post on the internet are people with a 10 out of 10 or a 1 out of 10 attitude exactly also i feel like i hear like this is the best one yet i heard that many times with both force awakens and rogue one so i think just every time a new one's made Oh, you'll yeah. hear that from somebody and isn't that isn't that just something like rogue one and the force awakens i enjoy both of those films i think they're both deeply flawed especially rogue one but i enjoy them for really different reasons and mm-hmm. i think they appeal 
to two different nerdy sides of me. The Force Awakens <laughs> appeals to the emotional fantasy side, like the Lord of the Rings, like, no, Mr. Frodo, don't leave me. <laughs> I feel I feel like The Force Awakens connects with that and you get that sense of wonder and mystery surrounding the Force in The mm. Force Awakens and it feels really good. But then Rogue One, you get more of that technical, almost sci-fi amazement yeah. out of. I really enjoy Rogue One because you get like those really excellent space battles. You get those really, really cool sense of scale with the Death Star, yeah. like overlooking the planet, just very technically wonderful. So, you know, those appeal to two different nerd nerddoms in, inside of me. For sure. um, but, you know, they're... Star, Star Wars has always been flawed. No Star Wars movie is perfect. No. The first, you know, A New Hope was groundbreaking when it came out. There's some awful acting. There's some terrible <laughs> dialogue. Empire Strikes Back definitely drags in the middle. Return of the Jedi is goofy as heck. Um, every Star Wars movie has its issues. And being a fan of this series means looking past them and eventually turning them into memes to celebrate them. Yeah. I think, too, like this far in the series, like I think we're at a point where there's something for everyone. I mean, you're not obviously going to like every single one equally, but there's always going to be one that you can kind of turn to as your favorite. So I think allowing for those flaws is fine. Like, I think even with this movie, if even if it does drag at the beginning, even if it does have some issues with its building of its characters, I just feel like in the long run, it does so many things well, and it pretty satisfyingly continues this new trilogy that, I don't know, I just see so much more good in it than I do bad. I agree. Yeah. I completely agree. I love these new characters. I'm, I really I can't do. wait to see where they go. Uh, yeah. I, I hope we get more on Ray in the next film. I love Ray so much. Um, you know, they they had I can't even believe we haven't talked about this. There's like this big question mark hanging over you from The Force Awakens where they're hinting at like after that flashback, who are Ray's parents? Yeah. And we seemingly get our answer in this film from Kylo Ren. Oh, they were scavengers who sold you off for drinking it. money, right? <laughs> You're nobody, which is such an inversion of Star Wars, right? You're born into this family. You're born as somebody with powers, mm -hmm. but then what does it mean to be a Ray, a nobody who comes up and you have these powers and you are now the potential embodiment of maybe the light side of the force or possibly a balance in the force, mm -hmm. like a prophetic figure, but you come from nothing. I, that seems like a very kind of Jesus-esque kind of, uh, <laughs> it kind way of to is, say though. it. I feel but... like these, these movies totally have religious undertones. Oh, for absolutely. Sure. But, um, this movie especially has a lot of political undertones. Mm -hmm, it really does. Snoke walks around in this golden robe <laughs> And uh, can we talk about that scene where he dies, where they kill him? I love that scene. Where J.J. Abrams sets up this big mystery for all of us. Who is Snoke? Ooh. <laughs> Clearly, he's just like a lazy character. It's just like, we're just going to do the Emperor again because yeah. we're rehashing. And there's this great scene where Snoke is saying how smart he is and how strong he is in the Force and how he can see inside of Kylo Ren's mind. And Kylo Ren deceives him by, by thinking about his enemy, right? Snoke is like, oh, I can see inside your mind you're going to strike down your enemy, thinking he's going to strike down Rey. And then he uses the force to activate the lightsaber that's sitting next to Snoke, and it just literally cuts the dude in half. <laughs> that, that was like a jaw-dropping moment for me. I, I, was like, I really love that. What? Wow. Well, a whole scene to it unfolds where, because it is Kylo Ren bringing Rey to Snoke's lair, and so the whole thing is this push-pull between Snoke and Rey. She's trying so hard to defeat him in a way, but he keeps... He, like, has the whole mind control thing where he can, like, just move her body anywhere he wants. And so you have this big tug-of-war that's really, really tense and so well acted. Like, I feel like I felt the same way with The Force Awakens, too. Daisy Ridley's really good at, I mean, clearly she's just being thrown around on a harness, but she gets so emotionally invested in these she's scenes. She's so good at screaming. She's so good at screaming. And, like, she has this way of, like, getting her veins to, like, pop out of her face. Like, I mean, you really feel the impact. And so that whole scene is so tense. But... And I, it's satisfying, but then, like, someone brought up to me, too, how it was funny how Kylo Ren could trick Snoke into believing that he was going to strike down right. Because, like, there's no way in your mind that you can, like, trick someone into thinking you're thinking something else. So, like, I that is, like, an interesting thing right. that he was able to do that, supposedly. I but I think what kind of sells me on it is his like posturing and body language, which would be tricking because he is yeah. standing there looking down at Ray. He's not looking at Snoke. He's looking at Ray and he has his hand on his own lightsaber. Mm -hmm. So you would think that maybe he's visualizing pressing the button on a lightsaber, but is actually doing yeah. it through the force. You know, I don't know how the force works. <laughs> I wish I knew. I'm, I also wish I knew. Yeah. It also could be too like Snoke just acting like he's more powerful than he is too. Cause I mean, I think, too, like, I mean, he obviously is powerful being able to control people with his mind, basically. But 
because he is so gross and wrinkled, there's always that hint of like part of that power is really just underlined in his own love for himself kind of so yeah. there's always that part of you that's like he's not actually what he says he is really i'm actually kind of surprised that there wasn't more of this movie that happened on the casino planet because yeah. after seeing the promotional images and hearing that there was a casino planet and seeing pictures of snoke in that golden robe i figured he'd be there yeah. i figured he'd be there among the high rollers partying it up among the people who are funding his weaponry as we've mm -hmm. learned it would have been interesting if the I'm, i don't know I'm, this is just me just throwing out what ifs but what if the the side mission for rose and finn for them to find a hacker ended up they got there and they discovered that snoke was there and they had an opportunity yeah, to assassinate him or something yeah and then it went wrong and then that's how they ended up like almost getting um executed yeah and i feel like that too like i feel like that whole thing was weirdly underwhelming because i i expected more to I mean, this casino, like, I know it cost a lot of money to make, and there was a lot of talk about how it was, like, this very visually impressive thing, but I feel like there wasn't a lot of time just, like, absorbing it visually as there could have been. Like, there wasn't a lot of that, and I felt like since all they were doing was really just, like, convincing this hacker guy to help them, like, it didn't feel super climactic ever. Like, it just felt, like, pretty underwhelming from beginning to end for me, even though it does take up one of the three major subplots that drives the movie for such a long period of time. But, I mean, I did, like... Another thing, too, I like about the Star Wars movies is all the creatures that you see. So I did like going into the casino. There's like this one character. I can't even remember what it looks like, but he like thinks the BB-8 is like a slot machine. He's like this little. He's like a little, um, he's like, like a, a gnome or something. He's like a gnome combined with like a rhinoceros and a potato. Hey, like, here's he's a just fun fact. Weird... That little creature was uh, the voice acting for that was done by Mark Hamill. Oh, of course it was. Yeah. So talented. But no, like I love that aspect. But yeah, that whole thing. But I guess the creatures, too, like that is something i've always liked about star wars even though i haven't always been the biggest fan like just like seeing these different i mean the worlds are obviously impressive but just like seeing all these like animals that are running around like you think you've kind of seen it all but you really haven't yeah. <laughs> like i think at the casino exemplifies that there's also later too during the salt battle there are like these foxes running around that just seem to be made out of like crystals crystals yeah and they like make the crystal noises as they're running around and that's really cool so I think for me, half the fun of Star Wars is learning about how they make it. Yeah. Is learning about the behind the scenes set for design. Sure. I think that's some of the most enchanting stuff, especially with the original trilogy, because you look at those early pioneering special effects and you yeah. think, they did all those giant ships with miniatures. It's crazy. They floated around. How on earth? And they had to explode miniatures mm -hmm. in real life to get those effects. What? They didn't just do it with a computer? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's part of the franchise's charm in general. I don't know about the 2000s ones because I think they were a little more totally CGI, CGI heavy. Driven. I feel yeah. like the newer ones, I mean, there has been CGI, but I think in a lot of the instances, like even Yoda, like I'm pretty sure in this one's he like was played by a puppet, puppet yeah. which I like because I think part of it is you feel like it is very handmade and people really love what they're doing and they're putting kind of their heart into these characters and these sets, things like that. And so I do like kind of the return to that that J.J. Abrams brought with The Force Awakens. I like how it does continue into this because that's part of the charm. I think practical effects, you can feel the dedication and the hard work in ways that you don't necessarily with CGI. I definitely got with some of the creatures, especially the Fathiers, the the big, the racehorses. Oh on yeah, the I love planet. those. I got such a dark crystal vibe from a oh, lot totally. of the creatures in this film. Yeah, same with like the nun caretaker kind mm -hmm. of looking creatures like that was very dark crystal to me too. Yeah, that and the labyrinth. Mm. Yeah, I got I definitely <laughs> got some labyrinth vibes from some of those guys. Like the the four armed dude who was whipping the horses definitely looked like something out of the labyrinth oh, totally. to me. No, I love that. Yeah, so wild. I think part of the the charm of these space operas um, in general, I mean, it is a pretty limited genre. You have like Star Wars and I guess like Fifth Element and like Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. But part of it is like, in addition to getting immersed in the story, you also like would be willing to take a break from the story and just like literally just go and walk around. So I think that's part of what I like too about these is that these worlds are so immediately interesting that you're as intrigued by them as you are with the characters and what they're doing to drive the story. I'll just mention I wish there was more Captain Phasma and Maz Kanata. I was really sad. Or Maz, however you say it. I wish there was more of her. There's like one little brief scene where she's... A hologram. She's like battling people while doing... It's like a hologram. It also looks like a Skype call to me, but she's just <laughs> totally like battling at the same time. And like I, that's all you see. And that character is really funny, so I wish there was like a little more of that. I think she's one of the... She's been also a divisive character among the community which i think is yeah. ridiculous but i think she's one of the the best new characters because oh, yeah she's so gg abrams introduction of her is so 
perfect. Yeah. The way they set her up, you know immediately that she's on the right side. Yeah. She walk. You know, Han walks in the bar. She yells his name. Her first question to him is, "Where's my boyfriend?" <laughs> oh, Chewie's on the Falcon. I like that Wookie. She's on the right side. And yeah. you, you don't get much of her in this film, which yeah. is a shame. But. She's played by Lupita Nyong'o, who's, you know, amazing. So you get, like, her channeling. And also just Captain Phasma. I know she's evil, but she's just, like, such a badass. Oh, I, she's really cool. You catch a glimpse of someone hits her character with, like, a lightsaber in the eye. So you, like, see Gwendolyn Christie's eye for a second. It is, like, a bummer because, like, she is in this character, but, like, not a lot of people know who's playing it because she's just covered in armor the whole time even though it is like a very commanding performance that she gets away with really well i have a quote from kylo ren written down oh great (laughs) um he tells ray to let the past die kill it if you have to is a a thing that he said and that's pretty metatextual for this film Mm. uh because we have these tropes that are killed like snoke the big bad evil guy is killed in kind of this anticlimactic way yeah and he's there's a setup who is snoke he's this big evil guy who is he he's so powerful in the force and then he's just dead mm-hmm. kylo ren it's like the line is true and untrue right he tells ray let the past die ryan johnson does that by changing the formula by having this character luke die off but then also kylo ren does what darth vader could not do which is he kills his master and then he assumes his place. Mm-hmm. So there is that replacement. So Luke dies, but it isn't clear that Rey is going to now become a Jedi. Mm-hmm. It's not clear that she's going to start teaching a new generation of Jedi. It's not clear if she even wants to be a Jedi. She's just somebody who can use the Force and use a lightsaber. Yeah. So I kind of like that. It, it turns it on its head. Yeah, totally. I don't. I don't know what you thought of this scene. There's like this moment where like Rose saves Finn's life. Like he's trying to like basically like give his life for like the, the force he believes the resistance yeah. yeah and then she like crashes into his plane to make him not do that basically and then like he goes to worship and then she like kisses him and like i kind of interpret it as like a weird contrived way to like start a romantic connection but like some people i've talked to thought it was more of just like an awkward thing that like was purposely awkward to just like show her character i don't know like going for this romantic shot that didn't really it wasn't really reciprocated i don't know what how do you interpret that? I'm not sure because they do have that slight setup in The Force Awakens where it seems like Finn is into Rey because he does ask, yeah. like, you have a boyfriend, cute boyfriend? He asks her <laughs> that and she's like, none of your business. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it was meant to be awkward. I'm not sure if they're trying to plant the seeds for something in episode nine. I kind of hope not. Yeah, because it just felt very, like, I watched it like, this is so dumb. Like, I don't think this... anything could top, like, the romance of Han and Leia that we already had. No. And I, I mean, it's okay to have other romances in the series, of course, but, like, I don't know. I don't think they should try to force it. No, it felt very forced because I feel like, too, like, after you've you've been doing these big battles like i just don't feel like they would be i don't feel like romance is that interesting of a thing to pander to like it's not something that you're looking for like i feel like with han and leia you're kind of wanting it for a lot of the time whereas like this it's like what in the world like it's so out of the blue yeah so like i hope it was like just meant to be kind of an awkward thing but like i really hope it's not like actually supposed to be like a romantic seed being planted because i don't feel like that would work very well i agree all right. Do you have any more? I just want to talk a little bit about... Well, I guess we can talk about it during recommendations. I think that's it. I think that's what cool. I got. Uh, I, mean, I, I want to... Should we do final thoughts? Sure. Do you want to go first? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to think. Oh, wow. I just saw it last night. It's still fresh. It's new. It's different. I think the series is going to take a different direction now, and I'm excited to see what that means. I don't know if I love this movie. I like it for sure, but I don't know if I love it. So I'm excited to see it again. That's my final thought. I gotta give it, I gotta give it a second look. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. I feel like I'm not totally sure. I definitely know I liked it. I think it does a lot of things well, even though the beginning drags a little bit for me. I don't think it's as good as The Force Awakens. I definitely was won over by its nostalgic tone. So I think for people who really liked that lightheartedness might not love how much darker The Last Jedi is. But yeah, I do think it probably does warrant a second viewing. I I could see where it's divisive among fans. So I don't know. I feel like my final thought's pretty like illegitimate anyway, because most people are just gonna, if they want to see it, they're gonna go see it. Like I feel like even people who don't go to the movies. I doubt anybody who really wants to see it would listen to this podcast unless they had already seen it. Oh, I'm sure. And I like doubt that people... There's not going to be anyone who's going to, like, wait for a DVD either. Like, I feel Ooh. like seeing Star Wars in the theater is, like, a must you're going to do. do that. Yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like so much of the country seen it this weekend, so. Oh, man. But, yeah, that's my final thought. <laughs> right. So, uh, shall we do recommendations? Sure. What do you got? So, I actually, there was a list that Ryan Johnson put out 
before, like while he was filming this movie, near the beginning of his filming, he said, these are the films that I looked to for my inspiration, my visual oh, inspiration okay. for the film. And I, I watched all of them beforehand oh, wow. because I was like, Devoted. I was like, I want to see what, what, <laughs> what does a director who's trying to make a Star Wars movie, what, what are they trying to gather insp- inspiration from? I imagined, oh, probably some World War II films. And that ended up being true. Mm. Uh, it was a mix of World War II and samurai films for oh. the most part. Uh, so his list was Sahara from 1943 with Humphrey mm. Bogart, Bridge on the River Kwai, Letter Never Sent, which is a Russian film, To Catch a Thief, which mm. I imagine he did for um, the Casino oh, Planet. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, where did that come into play? <laughs> um, three Outlaw Samurai, which some of the Jedi stuff, certainly. Mm-hmm. Gunga Din uh, oh, for yeah, some yeah. of the grandness and some of the battles, I'd say. 12 O'Clock High, I definitely saw the the influence on how he filmed the um the space battles and the communication between pilots and cockpits because mm-hmm. that's a bomber movie like a plane yeah. bomber movie from world war ii or yeah world war ii i think and then there's another one that he listed uh called kill which is another samurai <laughs> movie that's got an explanation point so my recommendations from that list since i've seen all of them i personally wouldn't recommend to watch all of those movies unless you're going to make your own star <laughs> yeah, wars movie but the three that i would recommend that you certainly watch are sahara with humphrey bogart which is an awesome movie i've never seen that i probably it's should. so good hmm. uh this platoon of uh guys who have a tank get stuck in the middle of the sahara desert after a battle they're the only survivors and they have to roll through the desert and find a place to get water and survive and they end up encountering a bunch of nazis and they have to like hide out and it's very good that was probably my favorite one then the bridge on the river kwai Speaking of Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, it has our boy Alec Guinness in it, and he is amazing. <laughs> so if you haven't seen The Bridge on the River Kwai, definitely check that out. And then lastly, we've recommended it before, but I'm going to recommend To Catch a Thief again because it's beautiful. Love it. Those okay. are my recommendations. Yeah. So I just went with, like, space movies in general. Nice. ones that I've enjoyed. I, like, weirdly feel like I've recommended them before, but, like, so if I did, just edit them out, I guess. I don't know. Oh, we'll just put them in again. Great. So my first one's, like, Forbidden Planet, which is... Oh, that movie rules. Have I ever so told great. you that I have a poster of uh, th- that poster, like, oh, Robbie really? the Robot holding the, mm. the woman I love on... Uh, it's, I have a friend poster of that in my room at my house. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, so that's just basically... I saw it a while ago, but I remember being pretty dazzled by it, but it is just... A space-themed movie. Is it a bunch of, like, voyagers that go to a distant planet, right? I think so. And, and there's, like, a scientist who's already there. Yeah. And he has this robot. And it's also, like, based on a Shakespearean play. Do you remember which one it was? No. What was it? Well, whatever. Um, but, yeah, it has, like, these Shakespearean undertones that are comparable to Star Wars. And it also is really cool, too, because its score, instead of using, like, just, like, the general orchestral music and instead just uses like these technological sounds that just sound like people like going away on like a computer from the 50s but like that's the music and so it's just this very artistically interesting movie and innovative movie that i think i'm assuming probably was a major influence on the people who made star wars in the first place and that is one of the most groundbreaking sci-fi movies i mean the 50s is known for having this pretty schlocky output in terms of sci-fi but this is one of the ones that like legitimately was trying to make something cerebral and interesting so i think definitely check that out and then i also feel like i recommended this one but i'm just gonna do it again if i did but i picked it's not a good movie also but it's the 1968 classic barbarella with um jane fonda you actually haven't recommended that i feel like i did why do i anyway but that one is such a cheesy sci-fi movie but she's basically just this adventurous that goes on all these missions with like a space bikini and it's very visually odd and it kind of combines sci-fi with psychedelia and it's directed by roger vadim who or roger vadim who was kind of known for these not like overly sexual movies but kind of this this like really big emphasis on these beautiful women in these situations that normally would be given to most like heroic action figures so i think a lot of it's not great, but it is an early example of a space opera trying to kind of do more with a genre that up until that point hadn't been taken very seriously. So I would check that out as well. If you want to hear more of us talking about movies, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and on our website, uwpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at The Filmcast. You can find us on our personal accounts at Aiden Walkero or at Blake W. Peterson. If you want to write to us with a suggestion for a film to watch or share your opinion with us, you can send us an email to cinemadventurepodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. We can get the word out on what we're doing here. 
Uh, if you want to follow along with us, next Monday we're going to be talking about White Christmas on Christmas. Wow. And it's not meant to be a Christmas celebration. We actually are going to tear it apart. So get ready. Wow. <laughs> um, thank you so much for listening. May the force be with you. Rest in peace, Carrie Fisher. We love you so much. <laughs> yeah. And we wish you were still with us. And we'll see you next time. Bye. this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.